Back 14 years ago, we began a sermon series called Marvel in the book of Mark. Actually, we began it in the fall, and then we, uh, you know, we had a little Christmas break there. We, we veered off, but we're back in Mark chapter 2 this morning. Uh, and as you're finding Mark 2, if you have your Bibles, if not, it'll be on the screens. I'm not sure what an epiphany is, but I think in November, I had sort of an epiphany. I was on the treadmill. I got off the treadmill. And I, and I said to myself, you know, what I'm doing is not working the way I want it to work. Now, believe it or not, I, I enjoy exercising. I enjoy lifting weights. I enjoy getting on the treadmill. And I try to watch what I eat at least five or six days a week. But as I examined myself, I said, I am not, whatever I'm doing is not working how I want it to work. Now, some of you are snickering going, preacher, we could have told you that. Well, let me tell you this. The truth this morning is some of the things you're doing is not working real well either. Amen? Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it is your health. Maybe, maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's the way you're just doing life right now. Whatever it is, however you're doing it, it's just not really working as it should. We're going to look at two, begin to look at two peculiar little verses in Mark chapter 2. And these are verses that had a lot of cultural significance 2,000 years ago. But today, at first glance, may not make a lot of sense. We're going to try to make sense out of it this morning for us. Uh, in verse, verse 21, it says... No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. Now, most of us in this audience today don't want to wear clothes with holes in it, correct? That is not true of the second service. Did you know that? L let me show you a picture. This is, those are modern blue jeans. Did you know that? My mother probably still shudders when she sees those. Now, the pro there's no problem with that as long as the holes are not in the wrong places, if you know what I mean. But for most of us, a hole in a garment is not a good thing. Now, what did this mean 2,000 years ago? Well, a person had a hole in a garment. What Jesus was saying, you got an old garment that has a tear in it. You do not take a new garment and ruin it, by the way, or take new cloth and cut out that cloth and put on there this new cloth that's never been wet, that's never been washed, that's not shrunk, and you put it on an old garment that has already shrunk, it's already set in place, and you put that new patch, that new garment, to patch up that hole. When you wash that garment a few times or it gets wet, what happens? The patch shrinks and it tears a bigger hole than there already was. In fact, you, you, you ruined the new piece of cloth and you've probably made a worse hole in your old garment, okay? That makes sense? Now, it doesn't make any sense spiritually, but I hope it will in a moment. Uh, and here's uh, another, verse 22. No one pours new wine into old wineskins. Some of you probably tried this last week and it didn't work, right? If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. Now, folks, back in Jesus' day, they did not have bottles like we have bottles. So wine, which was the staple drink of their day, was carried and kept in wineskins, which were goat skins. They'd take them, they would cure them, and then they would sew them together very tight, and that's what they kept 
they're, they're whining. We have a picture of an old goat skin. It's kind of disgusting looking, isn't it? And, and I've seen other pictures of them. They're, they're really pretty big. So I guess, men, you made your wife carry it because, you know, that's, that was the beginning of the purse right there, wasn't it? Was, was the wine skin. <laughs> now, here, here's what happened. An old wine skin lost its elasticity. <laughs> and if you pour new wine in there, no, some of you who are experts at wine will know this, but you pour when it's in the grape juice stage, and in Jesus' day, the wine over there would have fermented very quickly. The grape juice would have. When it begins to ferment, it emits gases. Did you know that? When grape juice does, and as it does, it expands. And if you pour new wine into an unflexible old wine skin, it would burst the wine skins. You would have ruined the old wine skin and the wine. Now, if we stop right there, you're going to go home and you learn two little things that don't matter a whole lot today, correct? The bottom line, what we're going to look at is, is you've got to do some things different in your life. Now, folks, one definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over and expect a different result. You might write that down because I'm going to say it about ten times. One definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over and over and expect a different result. Now, what, does this, what is the significance of the patch tearing and the wineskin bursting for us? Well, here's the first thought. When our ways are not in line with God's ways, they're not going to work. When, when you and I are trying to do life not according to God's ways, ultimately and eventually it will not work. Now, if you're not a Christian, I want to tell you that Eventually, this comes to fruit for you. If you are a Christian, this comes to fruit all the time for you. You may think you're getting away with things. You may think that, that uh, well, you know, I'm doing it my way, and it seems to be working okay. Eventually, it will not work. Now, here's the problem. 2,000 years ago, this is what Jesus was addressing. The, the, the religious leaders, especially, were, they had their idea about God. And they were going to do life their way. And it wasn't working for them. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to paraphrase or kind of sum up verses 13 through 17. 13 through 17. This is all in context here with the patch and the wineskin. Jesus calls Levi to be one of his disciples. Levi is a tax collector. Tax collectors are hated and despised in this day. They're known as, they're known as cheats. And Jesus is having supper with all these tax collectors and these known sinners. And... <clears throat> And this is who Jesus is, folks. And the Pharisees go ballistic. What is this guy doing eating with sinners? What is he doing associating with these known party animals, these wild people, these bad people? And Jesus said, you guys are missing it all together. I did not come here to sit in a holy huddle and hold hands and sing kumbaya with a bunch of religiously dead people. I came to save sinners. Which, by the way, everybody in this room is. They were missing him completely. Then he tells another little story in here, a story in verse 18 through 20. John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot. So long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. And on that day they will fast. Now a Jewish marriage lasted seven days. 
Now, dads, you who have paid for your young daughter getting married know that it is with fear and trembling that happens, correct? You're happy they get married, and then when you pay it off the next 18 years, you cry the whole time. Can you imagine a seven-day feast? And who would be responsible for paying for that? But it was a party time. And while you, while you were during the middle of this wedding feast, you, you did not fast. And Jesus said, look, I'm here. You guys are missing it again. But, but the bigger picture was they, they were missing fasting and religion altogether. The, the, the Jewish concept of fasting, going without food to focus on God, by Jesus' day, they had four or five national days that they fasted. Now, the Pharisees, who were the Green Beret of the religious people, up this. They fasted every Monday and Thursday. Fasting is good. God honors fasting. Jesus commends fasting. But the religious leaders basically said, we fast and we let people know we haven't eaten. We let people know we're fasting because we're spiritual. And because we do these certain things and these rules and regulations, we are more spiritual than you. And Jesus said, no, man, you guys are missing it altogether. I'm going to read it again, but I'm going to say it again. Jesus said, look, here's what you're doing. You're putting a, a new patch on an old garment. It's going to tear away. It's going to, be, it's going to ruin both of them. You're pouring new wine into old wineskins. It's going to burst the wineskins, and, and it's going to ruin the wineskin, and the, the new wine's going to be wasted. See, Jesus said to these folks who were missing this, listen, I have come, and a new day has dawned. I haven't come to do away with the law, but I've come to fulfill the law. I've come to help you understand it. I've come to show you a new way. And these people were stuck, religious people now, they were stuck doing God their way and the wrong way and however they wanted to do God. And Jesus said, listen, you can continue on the path that you're on, but it's not going to work when you don't do it my way. Now, in a big sense today, you're committing adultery and you're married. You know what? It ain't going to work eventually. Cheating people in business. Eventually, it's going to come back on you. It's not going to work. So, preacher, I'm not doing those things flagrantly against God. Are you living selfishly and pridefully? Do we try to do God on our terms like the Pharisees? We want to do life not according to God. It's not going to work. But, but here's the second thing, and this is probably where a lot of us are today. We may just be choosing paths that aren't working. They, they may not be overtly sinful. They may not be flagrantly evil. But the bottom line, many of us are choosing to sew a new patch on an old garment, and it's not going to work. We're pouring new wine into old wineskins, and it's not going to work. <clears throat> and we've got to make a decision as we enter 2013, are we just going to continue doing what we've been doing that's not working? 1983, I was a junior in college. I'd put off taking biology until then. I went to a small college, and, and biology, now, uh, like a year or two later, they changed this, <coughs> but at the time I took it, you had an intro to biology class with a biology teacher who wanted to go to medical school who didn't, so they were going to punish every student that came through their class, 
and you had pre-med, pre-vet, and you had coaches, like I was going to be a coach, all in the same class. Folks, coaches and pre-med are two different mental mind states in college, okay? And this biology class was brutal. We had multiple choice. I'm not making this up. You know, multiple choice number, usually A, B, C, and D. It was A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H. I am not kidding. I couldn't even go through the alphabet sometimes. We took our first test. I got it back, and it said at the top in red, 65. Well, I thought, you know, 65 is an F, but now this is shooting pretty low. It was a high F, and I can bring that up. I can bring that up. I can study harder. I can change some things, and then I can make a C, and I can be done with biology until I get to heaven. I will be completely done with it. Well, as I got to looking at the paper, I noticed it had an awful lot of red marks on it. And then I realized it wasn't 65. It was minus 65. (laughs) And as I took biology over next year, I learned how I was studying for an English class wasn't going to work in this biology class. What I was doing simply was not working. You see, and that's true for you in in, in many areas too. you're, You're going about things in your marriage. It's not working. Little by little, you're chipping away at the heart of the person you're married to. You're on a route with your health that's not working with your finances, at your job. It amazes me. Some people can continue to do the same things over and over and over at work and wonder why they lose their job. One definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Some of us are on paths today that are the wrong paths. Okay? So let's let's get on the the, the right thing. Let, let me give you... Uh, a, a third thought this morning. We need to think and act God's way. Now, see, in Jesus' day, when he, when he spoke these words about patching the garment and the new wine, the Pharisees, again, the, the ultimate religious people of the day, completely were not doing this, okay? Completely not doing this. And so what Jesus is saying is to them and to us, I want you to think and act my way, which, by the way, now, let's be honest, we're in church, is going gonna, is gonna to have you and me doing life a lot differently in 2013. If we decide we're going to act and think according to God's way, the truth is many of us are going to be doing a lot of things a lot differently than we did in 2012. What, what does this mean? Romans 12, 1 and 2 gives a beautiful picture of this. Romans 12, 1 and 2 It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, mercy, offer your body a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And verse 2, and verse 2 says, and then uh, do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world. We're going to be different. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think and act differently. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will is. Okay. To think and act according to God's way is going to be radically different than the way we naturally normally think, most of us. Okay. To think and act according to God's way is going to mean that we're going to do life a lot different. Now write this down if you're right. And a lot better in 2013. A lot different 
and a lot better. Isn't that the greatest thing? In my home, by my desk or by my chair where I sit, I, I bet I have 50 books within, uh, within about 10 paces of where I sit. And, you know, I'll decide, okay, I want to read a leadership book tonight or I want to read a, a biography or I want to read something that's going to help me be better at this and that. Then I always look and I see my Bible and go, you know what? Not that all those other books are great, but, but this is ultimately the great source here, isn't it? it? really is. So how do we think and act according to God's way? Number one, it begins with your heart. It begins with your heart, okay? Now, if you're serious this year about things being different, and they need to be. For every one of us, they need to be different. It begins with your heart. You give your life to Christ if you're not a Christian. If you are a Christian, you, here's some goals for you. Every day, get up and say, Jesus, today I am giving you my heart. In Luke 9, 23, it says, daily take up your cross. You don't have to be re-saved every day, but, but following Christ is a daily thing. We need to be filled with the Spirit every day. It begins with your heart to think and act God's way to be different. It begins with you giving your heart to Christ, having a pliable, open, teachable heart, okay? Second word here is Bible. It's your Bible. You and I have got to be in the Bible if we're going to think and act according to God's way, correct? Doesn't that just make sense? This is God's playbook. This is God's biography, his autobiography. This is how we can learn from people who did it wrong and people who did it right. Colossians 3.16 is a beautiful verse. Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly. I'm not even going to read the rest of that. Let the message of Christ, the word of God, dwell in you richly. The only way it can dwell in you richly is you've got to get it in you, Correct? Okay, let me give you some goals this year. Read your New Testament. Minimum thing this year. You say, well, I'm not even a Christian. i got a challenge for you. Read your New Testament. 260 chapters. You can start tomorrow morning and read one a day all year, and you'll read through the New Testament easy. Every Christian needs to read through the New Testament every year. I've read through the New Testament 40, 50 times. It's amazing every time I read it. It's fresh. Isn't that neat? You read a good book twice, and it starts to get old. You read the Bible ten times, and it just gets better and better and better. It, maybe you want to jump into the, the whole Bible this year. The Old Testament has 929 chapters. Now, if you want to read the whole Bible, you're going to have to read one new and about three in the Old Testament every day. Old Testament, you're going to have to read that six or seven days a week. No, it's, it's a big chunk. Maybe you want to read through the Old Testament over the next two years. Read, read two a day, Monday through Friday. Read one in the New Testament. Take Saturday and Sunday off because you're so exhausted from your reading. But I want to tell you, the only way that you are going to begin to think and act according to God's way is get this in your head and get this in your heart and swallow it, okay? The third word is prayer. You've got to pray. You've got to commune with God. Folks, the, the Pharisees, the good thing about the Pharisees is they had gotten the, the Old Testament in their head. They hadn't let it get in their heart. And they did not have a living relationship with God. To have that living relationship with God, you've got to be a person of prayer. Will you this year set aside 10 or 15 minutes in the morning or before you go to bed to pray? You say, well, I don't know how to pray. You catch me after church, you catch, you, you email me this week, my email address is on our website, 
we will get you a little book called Time Alone with God. I bet we've given out a thousand of those over the last few years. Best little book on how to pray and how to read your Bible. But you've got to pray, and we'll help you learn how to pray if you don't know how to pray. We'd love to help you with that. But you've got to spend time in prayer. Here's the fourth word, and that's the word church. Do you know going to church is not an option if you're a Christian? And part of, part of getting the Word of God in you is being in church. It's hearing the songs, singing to God, hearing the Word of God preach. Folks, you need to be in church. Now, you're in church. Thank you. Praise God for you this morning. Let me throw out a challenge for you this year. Why don't you, why don't you say, you know what? We may be gone four weeks for vacation, but 48 times I'm going to be in church this next year. Don't have a heart attack. Don't grab your chest. That's not painful. It's not that tough. It can be done, I promise you. My first church, I had a guy that had 32 years of perfect Sunday school attendance. Isn't that incredible? Now, what do you do if you go out of town? Well, you can go to church. If you're going to be out of town a lot, you need to go to church when you go out of town. But, but make it your goal to be here as often as you can. Maybe you're ready to go to a Bible study class, a connection group. Make it your goal to get in that or to come back on Sunday night. Folks, I want to promise you it's not going to hurt you to be in God's house as much as you can be. In fact, I will tell you it will help you. It will make you better. But if you want to think and act according to God's way, you've got to get yourself, you've got to get your heart to Christ, you've got to get your head in your Bible, and you've got to get on your knees and pray, and you've got to get yourself in church. There's no shortcuts there. And listen, if you will do these things sincerely, not mechanically, not just checking off a list, but you'll do them sincerely, you will begin to think like God and act like God, and you're going to be doing life much better. Okay, here's the last thought this morning. In all areas, you need to be open to doing some things differently. Now, certainly, it, 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 to say doing it God's way ought to cover a lot of bases, but let's, let's also open up everything. Because some of you can say, I come to church every week, and that's awesome. Some of you can say, I'm reading my Bible, awesome. I pray, awesome. I'm, I'm trying to let God have my heart daily, awesome. And I hope as that's happening, God's having your life completely. But I want to just open this up to your mind. Quit sewing that new patch on that old garment. Quit pouring that new wine into that old wineskins. I remember a guy telling me in Texas years ago, he said, a lot of people are like concrete. They've been thoroughly mixed up and they're firmly set in place. Amen or oh no. Ephesians 4.23, Ephesians 4.23 says, Be made new in the attitudes of your mind. It starts here. It starts here. It starts here in your heart and in your, in your mind. You've got to decide that this year in every area... I'm going to be open. Doesn't mean you've got to make changes in every area, but I'm going to be open. I'm going to be pliable. I'm going to be teachable. Folks, let's think about this as a church real quick. In America, 70 to 80% of the churches in America are flatlined or they're declining. Okay? You know why? A large reason that is. Now, there's several reasons, but one reason is this. is the slowest, <coughs> most unflexible organization in the world, oftentimes, is the church. Principles never change. 
methods must. You following me? Or are you mad at me? Okay, I want to tell you something I thought about this week. This is true. In the church, the greatest asset of a church, I believe, everybody's a great asset, but one of the, one of the greatest assets are people 65, 75, 85, and 95 that, that are still obviously active and cognitively involved. Because if these are people who love the Lord, they are bringing a wealth of maturity and seasoning and understanding and knowledge that you cannot get earning a doctor's degree. One of the biggest problems in the church is people 65, 75, 85, and 95 who have decided we got it figured out. It worked in 1959, and we shall, we shall, we shall not be moved. None of you, of course, are 95. Make a choice that in your golden years, if you're approaching that, that you are going to be a golden ring in the church, not a dead weight anchor. Principles never change. Preaching, teaching, worship, missions, giving, serving, evangelism never change. Methods do. We've got to always look at what do we need to do differently. What about you personally? What do you need to do differently this year, starting probably today? You know, a few years ago, many of you who have been in the church for a while will remember my oldest sister, who was 51, died. She didn't have an accident. It wasn't uh, a sudden thing. She had had health issues for years. And she just wouldn't do what the doctors told her to do. She just wouldn't do it. Just would not make the changes, wouldn't do things differently. And at 51, I had to stand over her grave and do her funeral. And everybody there knew this did not need to be taking place. But she wouldn't make the changes. Am I telling you today, if you don't do some things different, you may be dead this time next year? It's possible. You may be divorced this time next year. If you decide, I'm going to continue on the dumb route that I'm on, you may not be married this year. And some of you are going to preach, you know, death and divorce, that's too extreme. Well, it's true. But I'll bring it back home a little bit. You, you may not be dead. You may just be unhealthier emotionally, physically. Your spouse may be unhappier than they are today, and that may be not good today. Your finances may be worse today than they are right now. You may be sitting here wondering, where am I going to get a job because I lost my job? And it may be just because they laid everybody off. Maybe it was because they talked to you and talked to you and talked to you about things being different, and you just never put two and two together. You see, one definition of insanity is to do the same things over and over and expect a different result. In fact, I want to I say it a little harsher because it's, insanity almost excuses it. 
one definition of really being dumb is continuing to do the same things over and over and expecting it to be different. Certainly, one definition of sin at some point is continuing the same route and expecting it to be different, and it's not going to be. And I challenge you this morning, as we look at a new year, to do what you need to do to make it the greatest year of your life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, speak to our Christians now, God. Whatever it is that you're dealing with them about, whether it's an attitude, it's some secret sin, God, it's something that at work or at home that needs to be different. Give them the courage to see it and to respond to it. If you're not a Christian this morning or you're unsure, I want to challenge you right where you're seated to pray with me and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins. I want to be different. I believe you're God's son who died and who arose for me. Jesus, come into my heart this morning and save me today. Let me have your attention. We're going to stand in a moment and we're going to sing. And, and as we do, I want to challenge you to respond to God. Maybe, maybe you just prayed and asked Christ in your heart or you're ready to do that. We're going to have ministers down here. We can help you with that. Do what you need to do this morning to be right with God. You come. Maybe you're ready to join the church fellowship. We'd love for you to do that. Come in. One way you can do that is by coming this morning. You can join us today. Come and do that if God's leading you. Great day to do that. Christian, maybe today God has pinpointed some things in your life, and you need to say whether it's where you're standing or at the altar, God, with your help, this or that is going to be different. God, it's going to be with your help. Maybe you want to come and pray at the altar or with the minister. Maybe with your wife or husband or your family as we begin a new year, just to say, God, this year is your year. Let's stand.